the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Perspective. Teaching. Conversation. This is Isaiah 61. Over the next half hour, you'll hear why the Lord provided those verses and how they can be used in witnessing, in the church, and in daily life as God's children. Now, here's your host of Isaiah 61 from Spirit of the Lord Church in North Minneapolis, Pastor Joe Sutton. Hey, good day to everyone. Hope you're having a great time and enjoying our luscious resort weather that we're having here in Minnesota. Uh, you know, I was, uh, uh, as always, you know, you follow up the uh, the Thanksgiving holidays and, and uh, things get to going one way or the other. But, you know, one thing is for sure that, you know, not only does it begin the, the festive season, holiday season, it begins the festive winter season. You know, <laughs> we've had a warm November and I'm thankful for that. I know the church budget is thankful. I hope your church budget is, too. And uh, and now we get into a whole different arena, you know, out there, you know, and uh, and so you don't get a chance to see your neighbor much because he's bungled up and and uh, he's all wrapped up and tied up in, in different outer coverings. You know, I just want to um, just speak a word of encouragement to you today, uh, not so much from uh, a, a deep scriptural perspective, but I want to just talk about sometimes the results of uh, of just being obedient to God. And sometimes we don't get a chance to see those results in the in the lives of people that are there. You've heard me mention it before that some of the most influential people in my life probably don't even know I'm following uh, I'm following God today. They but they did what God asked them to do, and they did it in a way that uh, that that with excellence, and it, it struck a chord in me. And it, and, it, and it kept me, you know, it, it kept me. So when the time came in my life, when uh, the Holy Spirit started tugging on my heart, I did not fall into a cult or any kind of delusion. Uh, I, I followed the example that they gave to me and their faithfulness that they, that they achieved. Uh, as parents, a parent, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a young parent or older parent, you know, I, before, I, before, before I had kids, man, I would read three to four books a month. I read... Uh, you know, five to ten chapters in my Bible a day. When I got married, me and my wife would have, you know, uh, personal prayer and Bible study three to four times a week. You know, other times we were in church, and, you know, it was just lovely. And then children came. Oh, my goodness, children came. You only got 24 hours, so something has to get cut out. And, uh, man, it just start the, the, the book reading got less and, Man, I was I went through a time where I felt like I really wasn't giving God the, what I need to give him. But then I noticed some other things in my life. My spiritual insight was a little bit sharper because now I really understood the father. You know, I read his word. I, I obeyed his commands, but I didn't really understand. You know, with all that getting, get understanding. But when I became a father, I understood God more. I understood his parameters. I understood, you know, 
uh, the blessings. You know, what I mean, I, I understood it more. And and, uh, and I'm gonna share one incident with you that that really happened with my with my youngest son. You know, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm not. Uh, you see, I'm I'm a. If you ever met me, you know, some people say I can be intimidating, but I'm just a laughing, joking kind of guy. So I'm pretty sure to a one year old, I'm pretty intimidating. And so my my son, because of my mother, loves Vaseline. And that guy, my mother, when she would come to visit, would give him a nice warm bath and she would lube him up with Vaseline, lube his hair up, slick it to the side, man. And if we weren't careful, if we turned our head, that cat would get in that Vaseline, man, and just lube himself up. And, you know, a one-year-old trying to put on Vaseline is not going to come out the same as when, you know, a 50-year-old does it. So one day, you know, I'm downstairs, uh, you know, I'm praying. And that's when I instituted a rule after this that while Daddy's praying, you sit on the couch and uh, and pray with Daddy. Because he slipped away and went upstairs while I was in prayer. And it was too quiet in the house, and I knew something was wrong. And so I looked up, and I called his name. He didn't answer. I called his name again. I heard crying and tears. I run up the stairs, and there's my son standing uh, in the doorway to my bedroom. Globs of Vaseline all over his head, his hands, his face. Matter of fact, the reason why he was crying was because he couldn't see because he couldn't open his eyes because he had put the Vaseline on so thick. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, my first thought was, my wife is going to kill me. Now, you know, I understand this. My wife is a nice, peaceful woman. That's just one of our, you know, African-American colleagues. We always say kill. You know what I mean? Don't y'all take it too offensive. My wife is, uh, she's not a felon. And I, but anyway, so I said, man, because you know, I was supposed to be watching him. And so he was trying to walk. He couldn't see. He was about to touch the wall. I said, don't touch that wall, right, because I didn't want no evidence, uh, you know, so because I wasn't going to tell my wife what happened. And so I just looked at him and I said, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Uh, and I got angry. You know what I mean? You know, I just wanted to just put some feathers on him and just sit him outside. And I said, why? I told you stay out the Vaseline. You know, how many times you can't go to Vaseline? He's crying. I'm one. I'm just I know he can't respond to me in a way I do, but I'm kind of talking to myself as I do it. So I, I, I set him in the tub. And, uh, you know, I just you know, get a towel and start, you know, wiping them off and everything like that so he wouldn't touch nothing. And uh, and I said, why, well, son, how many times, how many times have I told you? And I know why he was crying. He thought he was about to get about to get get disciplined this big. At the time, I was probably about 360. Here's some big three, six, two, 360 pound man, you know, looming over you, you know, obviously upset. So he starts crying and then. But in the midst of it there, I kid you not, you know, and I'm saying, how many times, son, have I told you? You don't listen. You just, you know, you, you just need to be punished. And then I, it's like I heard his voice say, yes, how many times? How many times have I told you? And I stopped. And I stopped. And I wiped the Vaseline off. And I gave him a quick little shower. Redressed him. And I was quiet. And he got quiet, and I went back, and I finished my prayer time. 
all the little upsetness, all the little parenting, what I need to do went away because, you know, God, my father, knows how many times I've had to repent. Sometimes of the same thing over and over. Right after I told him, Lord, I'm you know, I'm yours. I'll never do this again. And 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 I sit there and I look at that and I had to and I had to ask myself and I had to and I say, that's how God feels, how I felt. But you gotta multiply that by billions of people that God feels this way about that 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 they hear his word. And some don't even want anything to do with his word, but yet they say they're his. They say they're they're Christians, but they don't want even you know they don't even spend time to study the Bible, read the Bible. You know, uh, you know they could tell you about every character in a particular movie or television show, but can't tell you they can't get the they can't get the characters right in the Bible story. You know, and and it's like it's like wow, you know. And so I understood the heart of God. So basically, what I'm saying is this: is that getting understanding. You know, and, and, and all the things, you know, we've been talking about Nehemiah and what Nehemiah did. Uh, you know, Nehemiah being obedient to God, you know, opened up that gateway. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to be honest with you, you know, you can take it any way you want to, that I would have responded to that situation with my son totally different if I wasn't a Christian. You know, I tell my kids all the time, you know, you, if you don't thank God or believe in God for nothing else, just thank him that he saved your father. Because, you know, you know, I just was a, I was an angry young man. I was just angry. You know what I mean? I just was angry. And I, and the only thing that brought me joy was to bring pain to other people's lives. You know what I mean? I just was an angry young man. And I couldn't imagine myself raising children because, you know, children do things, you know, to get you angry. You know what I mean? I had 14 and a 15 year old in the house and I don't have to say nothing else, you know, you know, but to understand the heart of God and how to respond as God will want me to respond is the result of those people who took God's mandate and they did something that wasn't necessarily that spiritual. And I'm just going to emphasize in my elementary days and, uh, you know, with the uh, Catholic school that I went to when everybody else moved out of the neighborhood as black people moved in the Catholic church stayed. They not only stayed, but they embraced us. I ended up becoming Catholic. A lot of my friends became Catholic and we became Catholic, not because we believed in that theology, not because we, did a, a doctrinal study, anything like that. We became Catholic because these people were a living example and they loved us and accepted us. When all the other white people left and moved out and didn't want their kids playing with us and didn't want us to go to school with them and didn't want us to go worship with us, these people stayed and opened up their doors to us and loved on us. And, and we wanted to be a part of that community. You know, I remember when I came home and asked my mom if I could become Catholic. And my mom said, no, baby, we're Baptist. You know what I mean? We're, we, we're not Catholic. And she said, why would you want to be Catholic? And I remember telling my mom, I said, I said, they give up something for Jesus. Y'all don't. And my mom signed the papers and let me uh, get baptized and go to my first communion. And my grandfather, who was a, was a you know, Baptist minister and teacher at the time, had a fit. Uh, you know, felt like, you know, was, my mother was doing me to hell to let me, you know, go to Roman Catholicism. You know, but it, it wasn't the theology. It was it was the way they lived out their faith in Christ. You know, I had uncles who were pastors and people's choir members and deacons, but I saw them drinking every weekend and partying and cheating on their spouses. You know, I observed this at seven years old. And then I looked at these, these nuns and priests who took a vow of poverty and, and, and took a vow of abstinence just to serve, serve God and tell people about Jesus. So to me, I felt that the Jesus, that their love for Jesus was stronger then other people love because people still did what they wanted to do, but yet gave God lip service. But these people, 
you know, was willing to sacrifice something. Now, you know, I know we can go into different things and talk about it, but this is me as a seven-year-old observing this, observing these people, you know, caring about me and loving on me at times. And I grew up in a, 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 a tumultuous neighborhood, you know what I mean? You know, and, uh, you know, at times when you run around and, you know, you're trying to avoid being raped, you're trying to avoid being put in gang, shot, robbed, or anything like that, I could always find refuge uh, at the at the rectory with the priest or at the convent with the nuns. I mean, they let me watch a baseball game, give me a Coke or something, some cookies, sit there, you know what I mean? And, and that was my refuge, to, to avoid the, the madness that was going on, to try to stay straight at least, you know, the the, the economy that was there. I mean, I, I was a pretty intelligent kid, and, and uh and so there was there and uh and they noticed that and they would give me things to do, give me challenges. I remember the priest would uh sat me down and taught me French, let me learn a new language when I was about nine, ten years old. Uh, you know, just to give me something to do to keep me active. But at the same time while he was teaching me French, you know, they they had also realized in my neighborhood that I was a good strategist. You know, so I was giving my insight on how to organize, uh, how to attack one gang or how to break into a store, uh, you know, how to bypass certain things. I was doing that at 10, 11 years old while I was learning French and uh, getting two years ahead of my peers in, in the classroom. So I'm, here I am two years ahead of everybody in class, but yet at the same time, what the, the church is trying to nurture a leadership gift in me, uh, the cats on the street was also nurturing a leadership gift within me. And, you know, and my, my point, again, is, is, is coming here is when you look at what Nehemiah did in rebuilding the wall, it, there's nothing spiritual about rebuilding the wall, but it sparked a revival. It sparked an opportunity for people to come together in unity. And what God is asking for us to do, right, he's asking for us to do, is he wants us to be radical, right? He wants us to go out there and change our world. But we have to do it within the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We need to meet injustices, right? No problem. You know what I mean? We need to create jobs. No problem. We need to educate people. No problem. But the thing about it is that our motivation can't be based upon uh, our, our, our degrees. It can't be based upon our individual talents and wisdom. It needs to be based upon the Holy Spirit moving within us. The scriptures say this, in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being, right? It's not, not in movements or anything like that. Movements that don't honor God. And I don't care just because a, a church does it doesn't mean automatically means it's a it's a godly movement. And we we've seen that happen too many times. We we can look at uh how the how, how some churches okay certain things, whether it's slavery, homosexuality, whatever they want to okay. That doesn't mean it's God God's the same yesterday, today and forever. Yes, Jesus grace paid for certain things, so the the punishment has been paid for. But whether God likes it or not that's a whole nother different different ball of wax that you get to, you know, but we have to understand that God has equipped us. He's given us gifts and he's given us calling. And, and, and we can't just some of us are called to work within the context of the church, but some of us are called to work with outside the context of the church. When you look at Isaiah 61, it says they shall rebuild, you know, things that have been destroyed by generations Whether it be a city. He rebuilt the wall. Revival hits. You know, the word is brought forth. What are you called to rebuild? What am I called to rebuild? Where are we to go? We can complain about all the problems that are out there. We complain about things that they go there, but we got to ask this question to ourselves. Is God calling me 
to be the answer. And if it's the answer, the answer is not going to be based upon what my degree says. The answer is not going to be based upon, you know, what my mom and daddy did. The answer is going to be based upon what God is calling me to, right? And so, therefore, that I have to immerse myself like Nehemiah did. He immersed himself in prayer to make sure that this had to happen because he knew that he couldn't do this on his own. He would need the favor of God to get him beyond that point. Right. You're listening to Isaiah 61. I'm Pastor Joe Sutton. Uh, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back. And I, I want to just uh, wrap it up on, on and how, to, how you prepare for your destiny or if you're a parent, how to prepare your child for what God is calling them to do to change the earth. Spirit of the Lord Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church impacting North Minneapolis and the greater Twin Cities. Emphasizing the four pillars of godly thinking, training up godly children, godly marriages, and outreach to the community. Spirit of the Lord has quickly become a staple to some of the people who need God the most. As they focus on Jesus Christ, grace and truth bind them together to become God's best. Join them for service every Sunday morning at 1030 at 1001 Penn Avenue North in Minneapolis. Spirit of the Lord Church, a proud sponsor of Isaiah 61. AM 980 The Mission, the Twin Cities Christian Voice salutes Focus on the Family with Jim Daly as our December AM 980 The Mission Ministry of the Month. You can catch Focus on the Family every weekday morning at 1130. And don't forget that if there are any prizes to be given away during the month of December, you can always tune in live to On the Way with Ridgeway with Paul Ridgeway every weekday afternoon between 4 and 6 to learn how to win some prizes. It's our month-long salute to Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, our AM 980 The Mission December Ministry of the Month. Hey, this is Pastor Joe Sutton, and this is Isaiah 61. I want to just wrap up, uh, you know, uh, our discussion where we talk about Nehemiah and different things like that and and, and out there racing and going on. As I said just before the break, you know, I look at the problems of the world, and I can't solve them all. And I've come to realize at this point in juncture in my life that I just need to focus on what it is that God has called me to do. Uh, in my younger days, I tried to do two and three things at one time because I felt I was talented. And that's one thing about being talented is that there's so many things you can do that you don't know what to narrow in on. And God tends to choose the things that you're weakest at. And and as he said, in your weakness, he's made strong. Uh, I don't appreciate that. I wish he would have went with my strengths. And then even though some people think that what I do, you know, pastoring, speaking, talking is a strength of mine, uh, if you know me, and times past, uh, I wouldn't hardly, you could never catch me in this situation to do, you know, what I'm doing today. So when I look at life and where I'm going and what I want to do, I ask myself this question, you know, there's many things I can do, but what is God calling me to do? And a lot of times when I had to be honest with myself, I had to look at the obstacles of me completing that task. So when I, as I was saying earlier that, you know, that when we do something that may seem not so spiritual, but it tends to open up the floodgates. You know, I want to give you a practical application of mine that went in there. And uh, when I first started doing, uh, you know, ministry, I was following the script, right? Uh, we would do a club type setting, get kids together, uh, play some games, uh, you know, have some group activity, share on a theme, eat some cookies, drink some punch, go home. You know, that that was it. And uh but it it wasn't working in my neighborhood like it worked in the other neighborhood. 
And so, but I found out that when I would go play basketball and I get on the court, there was always these little kids who wanted to get on the court but could never get on the court because the big guys, the stars, was invading. And so I went to some of my friends I played ball with. I said, what if we got those little kids who are always jumping on the court every time, you know, we take a break and shoot and we incorporate them into the game. And so that's what we did. We incorporated them into the game. Now the guys around us said, man, you're going to lose, you know, and we said, that's okay. You're going to be sitting on the side of the court. We said, that's okay. So we started pulling these young kids in to play with us, to teach them how to play, you know, put them under that pressure. And, and then uh, we'd be sitting on the side. Just some of us get picked up. Some of us sitting there. You know, we you know, instead of playing five, six games, we was only playing like two games during the time. But we was reaching these shorties because they, they would come sit with us and talk with us, and we would just explain to them the game that was going. So then we started a basketball team, a men's team, and we put them on the team, and we let them play in the men's league with us. They're like seventh, eighth grade, sixth grade. Uh, later on, they became some. But by the time they were juniors in high school, they were some of the top basketball players in the city of Houston because they just had some insight that they had gained from being mentored by us and that thing. So then I realized, man, I, I'm accomplishing more with sports than I am with my little club setting that I'm doing. So I switched to a sports-type outreach, and then it just things just broke open to do that. I, you know, I would have never thought about using sports at first because sports is not a churchy environment. You don't get a chance to preach the gospel, you know, during a game, right? So – but I realized that I could take that game and take practice and mold it into something and make an impact in a young person's life. You know, when I look back on even my 23 years here in Minneapolis and the amount of kids that have come through my basketball program, flag football program, track program, and I look at what they're doing, I, I look at the quality of their life. I look at how they re- how their respect for the gospel, others who have, who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior and their they're, they're going straight, the ones that we strengthened that already knew Jesus, the ones that know Jesus now that didn't know Jesus. You know, I can look at that and I can say, wow, you know, I feel good about what I did. Now, if I had got so caught up in winning in track and never really was caught up in teaching spiritual values and, and allowing kids an opportunity to say the Lord, then I could get sidetracked and get lost in that. But I didn't want to be like a YWCA or YMCA that has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof. You know, I want to keep Christ central and what we were doing for the, for the, for the athletes and the parents, and 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 it yielded good results. You know, what I mean that 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 produced changed lives. But just like Nehemiah had to in chapter thirteen, he had to come back and reinspect his work when he came back to look at it. You know, and he was disappointed that the people had slid back into what they were before. You know, and, and, and that's why I'm not an event person, you know, because an event person is hard to follow people up and everybody up and figure out what they're doing. You know, we try to disseminate that out. We try to do everything we can, but, you know, we just have to let it fall away. You know, I like one-on-one, you know, and, and I like when when kids that were in my program, whether the athletic program or the Bible club program, come back to me 10, 15 years later and know they can find me. And, and, and share their heart with me or share their marital problems with me or ask me to marry them and do stuff like that, you know, and just know know they need somebody that can communicate the gospel clearly and would be there. And their relationship wouldn't be there if it wasn't for that basketball or that, that, that track outreach or anything like that. So don't be discouraged that your your call or your particular thing 
is not some uh, ecclesiastical great thing where you're preaching the gospel and giving altar call. It's just could be as simple as tutoring somebody, helping them read after school. It could be as simple as shoveling your neighbor's snow. I mean, that's how I reached my neighbors, uh, you know, when I was in my neighborhood. You know, if they, if they slept too long, their whole walkway got shoveled, driveway too. You know what I mean? And it, it created a relationship. And they were from they were from uh, Laos, and they would come and, you know, share egg rolls and duck, and we would share stuff out of our gardens. But just the fact that I was willing to shovel their snow opened up a conversation and a relationship that, you know, I don't know the spiritual parameters of it. I mean, they would call me pastor, but I never told them I was a pastor. I guess they figured out where I was going every day and figured out I was a pastor. But, you know, it's just one of the things that we have to do. Don't get caught up that 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 what you do has to be super spiritual. All you need to do is be committed and continue loving God, and you'll make an impact in people's life. Those people that made that impact in my life, they're responsible for hundreds, thousands of people coming to the Lord. And they don't even know it. They were just being faithful by educating us in the school system. You know what I mean? Spanking our hands with that ruler, <laughs> keeping us straight. You know what I mean? But in return, it's yielded. It's yielded a hundredfold return. So I just want to encourage you, you know, and, and, and out there, just get out there and get involved. You know what I mean? If you if you, you hesitate, you can just give me a call. I'll find a place for you to go. Not necessarily with me, but with some other urban ministry that, that is looking for a volunteer or, you know, even a sponsor. You know what I mean? So during this holiday season of giving, when you're writing checks, you know, just write out a couple hours out of your life to bless somebody with. Because time is greater than money. In Jesus' name, amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.